definition of good often comes from society. I'll be a good person, which often means I'll be a nice person. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to make anyone upset with me. Uh, when uh, I need to, I'll, I'll be a little bit generous so that people will like me. Basically, a good person is someone who's likable, right? That's what our society seems to tell us. But here, God says what His definition of a good person is in His messianic kingdom. And He says, and what does the Lord require of you? By the way, if you want to be a, a, a solid part of God's kingdom culture, there is a requirement. Just like there is a requirement to be a citizen of Australia, you know, right? Don't kill other people. It's a pretty good requirement. Um, uh, don't, don't hurt someone else. It's a pretty good requirement. There are requirements in God's kingdom. What does God require of us? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Three things. Act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. One commentator, as I was looking into this, wrote um, that the whole idea of acting justly and loving mercy often seems at odds with one another. You know, when we think about justice, and last week Adrian got us to think about what does justice look like? And for me, I thought about Batman, right? You know, the vigilante, if society is not going to fix this, someone's got to do it. And the ends justify the means. We need to ensure that justice is served. That's what I had in my mind. The other thought I had in my mind were these mass protests of people uh, taking to the streets because an injustice has occurred. And they're saying, we need to do something about it. Those were the pictures of justice in my mind. And honestly, quite often, they have a violent overtone to it. It's like something needs to be done, someone needs to be hurt, someone needs to be put down, someone needs to be cast aside because they are bad people and injustice has occurred and we need to do something about that. But then God also says you act with justice but you love mercy. And suddenly it's like, am I supposed to be acting justly or am I supposed to be loving mercy? Both. And that's what God is saying. See, the word mercy here is actually a terrible translation of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is hesed. Say it with me, hesed. You need to have a little bit of phlegm. Hesed. This is close enough. Hesed. So we need to love hesed. And hesed is not actually just simply mercy. Hesed is actually an attribute of God Himself. Because God says in Deuteronomy, I think it's 24, He says, He reveals Himself. He says, I am the Lord. I am full of hesed. I am full of hesed. And in that Deuteronomy passage is translated, sometimes uh, I, I'm full of loving kindness. Loving kindness. Uh, an English word was created to try to capture hesed. It's not just loving, it's not just kindness, loving kindness. It's, 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 and it kind of sounds really soft, right? Anyone with me? Any other blokes with me? Who, which guy wants to have maybe on their tombstone? He was full of loving kindness. I'm probably like, no. I'm not with the fairies. I want to be strong. But God is full of love. No, it's not. Loving kindness is scratching the surface, really. I, I, I was listening to this uh, teaching on Hesed, and Hesed is actually full of covenantal, loyal love. 
So what God is saying is that I make covenants with you. And covenant, we can kind of see it as a binding promise. You know, it's, it's not just me saying I promise you, but it's a blood pact kind of a thing. And, and, and when you look into the covenants in the Bible, God actually gives some unconditional covenants to us. And it's beautiful because God says, I will be hurt in order to love you. To the point of being on the cross, I have purchased your life. Purchased for what? For a covenantal relationship. And what God is saying when He is full of hesed is that He's saying, I have made a covenant with you and I will be loyal to its conclusion. And so when we read that we are supposed to love hesed, we're not just supposed to love letting people go scot-free. That's not what it's about. Loving Hasset is about loving covenantal community and relationships. And the word love that, uh, that we see, love, mercy, that word love is actually a description of a human desire, a human love. It is saying that we need to, as best as we can, enter into Hasset. We need to probably... With all of our failings and all of our inabilities as human beings, we still need to, as humans, love, desire, pursue covenantal community relationships. We need to act justly, and we need to learn how to live and love community relationships covenantal community. You know, that, that really stuck with me because I think that is something that we struggle with. If I can be honest, any normal Australian doesn't know how to do covenant community. We seek community that makes us feel good. And the moment that community doesn't make us feel good, we leave the community. We're living in cancel culture. We cancel people. We cancel community. And it's easy. We go back to our homes and we wash ourselves over with Netflix. We can order food from the comfort of our homes so that when we feel bad, we've got tubs of ice cream that appear at our doorstep. We do these things because we don't know how to live with people. We don't love Hesed. We love the idea of Hesed. But when the moment we step into Hesed, we freak out. Because being in community is scary, and we did a whole series on Ephesians which talks about loving the community of God. But God is saying this is a requirement. If you want to be a good person, you act justly, and you love mercy. And that's why I think the third thing is important is to walk humbly with your God. I used to think that it was translated to walk humbly before your God. It's actually to walk humbly with your God. And why is it walking with humility with God? I don't think it's because God desires to put you down. I think it's because it's only when you are humble do you look up, respect, and say, I need to learn from you. I wonder how many of us come to God and teach God how to do community. I wonder how many of us come to God and we say, but that person treated me this way, and so they need to be taught a lesson. And I, I think that God's got no problem with that. You read the Psalms, and David in particular has a lot of trouble with a lot of different people. His own son. Oh God, my enemies surround me everywhere. You need to do something about that. I don't think God has a problem with that, but 
Do we also have the other side where we go, yes, God, I'm venting, I'm troubled, this is really difficult for me, but God, you need to show me how to do community. You need to show me how your community operates. What are the principles for your covenant community? And I am going to walk with you and learn from you. And so Micah shows us that this is a very important way of understanding justice, that justice is very much related to the community. Remember he says that we are to act justly from a heart of covenant community. We do not know what justice is until we know what covenant community looks like. And so when we don't have the anchor point of covenant community, we are liable to go out and reach out for anything that we feel is unjust rather than is a true injustice. Does that make sense? We will start going around and start appealing for justice when really you're just being an entitled brat. I know a uni student who went to uni and basically uh, uh, told me that all her uni tutors and all her uni lecturers were oppositional to her and were trying to make her life difficult. I said, you are getting an education about how the world does not revolve around you. She said, it's an injustice and she was appealing to all the different channels she could appeal to. I think when we lose sight of what community and what God's community looks like in our hearts, we start to go, oh, that person is in opposition to me. That is an injustice. But when we understand this, then we're able to do this. When we love Hesed, we are able to act justly. How do we love Hesed? We walk humbly with God. See, this is not a theme that is um, unique to Micah. Another prophet, Amos, uh, wrote very similarly to the northern kingdom of Israel, talked about the corruption, and basically said, you guys need to turn around. This is not in accordance to God's will. And so in Amos 5, 21 to 24, we read this. This is God speaking, and this is not nice. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your, uh, uh, the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I first heard this verse in the way that captivated me. It was actually a movie that was made by Hillsong United, uh, the youth band of, of Hillsong Church, and they were doing a documentary because they have been doing all these tours and all these things that uh, um, are leading people into worship. And then, the, But the opening scene of this, uh, this, this movie, I remember it vividly. It, it was a black and white scene, or at least very, very toned down scene. And, and the leader of um, uh, the band, Joel Houston, he sat down, and he read this passage. Before they showed all the worship, all the songs and the people and the crowds of young people in ecstatic worship, they read, away with your songs. Away with your festivities. And it stuck with me. At that time in my life, I was very much still involved in church bands, and I love youth Worship because youth are really easy to get them excited. 
You know, as long as it, everyone's jumping and there's a hype man in the background going, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's kind of like moshing. And I thought that that was cool. I thought that God loved it. And then I read this verse and I was like, what is it? what's going on, God? Do you not love our songs? And then I realized that so often we have this me to God idea of how life works. If me and God are all good, then everything is all good. And so we come together on a Sunday morning, we sing our songs and we feel good and we feel like God is there and we go, oh, all is good. And God is saying, I need you to go further than that. You see, my heart is not just that I am right with you, but that you are right with the world. Let justice flow like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. See, one of the things about the Bible is that the Bible often uses lots of metaphors. And you need to understand these metaphors as, that, as their culture uh, talks about. Uh, uh, like people, when they come to Australia, they need to understand our culture and our metaphors. For example, if as a migrant, you come here and you go like, let's go for a smoker, you'll be like, oh, I'm not a smoker. Right? The cultural context of a smoker is a break. But for many people, like, that's the Australian context, and so you need to learn that. And so we need to understand the cultural metaphors for uh, the Hebrew people, and rivers were a cultural metaphor. Rivers were life-giving potential. You see, when you live in a desert area, in a wilderness area, that things don't really grow, when you have water that flows, fresh water, you have life. And so when you see rivers in the Bible, it is not just about a moving body of water, but is the potential for life. And so when Amos is saying here, let justice flow like a river, he's saying you need to bring life wherever you go. When you act with justice, it's actually about bringing life wherever you go. When you act with justice, you are bringing water that brings life to dry places that have not experienced it. And so when we sponsor a kit, it's an act of justice that flows like a river because our act of justice transforms a community. It brings life where death has current rain. And that's what we need to understand about justice. It is not dammed up. It is not stored up. It moves and it brings life wherever it goes. But then Amos goes on to say, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending, never-failing stream. Why righteousness? Do you know that righteousness and justice in the Bible, if you do a word search, they are often connected. What do you think about when you think of righteousness? You think about your personal moral standing with God, right? Or maybe your personal moral standing with people. I am a good person. I'm a righteous person. I love ethics. I love personal standards. I am a righteous person. But the word for righteousness, here, and that is real. In the New Testament in particular, when you read Paul's letters, when he uses the word righteousness, it means right standing with God. It's a personal status that we have with God. But the word that is righteousness here in the Hebrew is the word tzedakah. Say with me, tzedakah. There's a slide for it. There we go. Tzedakah. I'm probably saying it completely wrong. 
with all the emphasis and all the wrong things, turn to the person next to you and don't spit and say, Sedeca. Now, Sedeca is more appropriately defined as a life of right relationships. One Bible teacher uh, uh, makes this quote. It says, Sedeca refers to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. Okay? So righteousness here isn't about personal righteousness. It's about relational righteousness, relational right standing, that you're living in a way that the people around you are impacted because of your standard of fairness, generosity, and equity. So why is justice and righteousness, or sedeca, put together is, is actually fascinating. Because the word justice refers to, or possibly is better described by the phrase, rectifying justice. Rectifying justice. So when I am uh, uh, performing an act of justice, it's a rectifying justice. What does that mean? It means that a wrong has occurred, and so the wrongdoer is punished, and the victim is cared for. Think about that. That's often what we think about when it comes to justice. A wrongdoer is punished, and the victim is cared for. Compassion is not so much seeking to punish a wrongdoer, but at the very least, care for the victims of a society. In in the many uh, community projects that we look to do, we, we, we are trying to care for victims. Sometimes as well, some of you are involved in acts that are trying to ensure that People who are doing wrong are punished for that wrong. They understand that that wrong is not good. That is a standard of society that needs to be kept, right? So that is rectifying justice. But Seneca can be described as primary justice. Why is it primary justice? It's because if we live with Seneca, we will not need rectifying justice. It's preventative justice. It's understanding that if I live in this way, then the effects of injustice will not impact other people. The early church practiced and lived with Sedeca. You can read about this in the book of Acts. When the Spirit fell and they started to meet together, you find this little passage where they say that people started to sell their properties and brought it to the church so that no one in the community would have need. Why did they do that? It's because they were practicing Sedeca. They didn't say, oh, that's your problem. That is what you need to deal with because of your choices in your life. The community actually came together and said, how can we live? We live in a way that injustices do not impact the people in our community. So let justice roll on like a river, sedeca like a never failing stream. How amazing would it be if we get to a place where we all practice Zedeka so much so that we don't even need to worry about punishing wrongdoing or caring for victims. There won't be victims, there won't be perpetrators if we all had the mindset of Zedeka. And I want to show you something that is going to be extremely difficult for us because Jesus uses this concept of Zedeka 
in his teaching. In Matthew chapter 6, we're in the middle of a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And this Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus' teaching about the culture of the kingdom. So this is really important for us because we are meant to be carriers of the kingdom, right? And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So you can see the first half, uh, uh, verse 1 and verse 2, are actually just basically the same thing. It's Jesus saying the same concept, but using different analogies to help it sing. So I want you to take a note in verse 1. It says, be careful not to practice your generosity in front. I mean, Jesus didn't use generosity. He used, the word, he used the word righteousness. He says giving to the needy is not generosity. It's righteousness. He says looking after people is not generosity. It's it's, it's righteousness. And why this stung for me is because generosity has this connotation of being above and beyond a good standard. You don't have to be generous to be good. Not in our culture. You don't have to be generous to be good. But in God's kingdom, you have to be generous to be righteous. Righteousness has the connotation of the minimum standard. The minimum standard of our Christianity is generosity, church. Let me say that again. The minimum standard of Christianity is generosity. The minimum standard of Christianity is generosity. So let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. How, how is your righteousness flowing? I'm not just talking about money. It might be about money. Jesus made it about money. Or if your words, your actions, your life, your time, are you living according to God's minimum standard or are you living according to the world's minimum standard? Because if we live according to the world's minimum standard, injustice will continue to run rampant. But God has chosen us as His people to shine a light into the darkness and to say, no, injustice is not the culture of the kingdom. But how do we fight against injustice is not just by rectifying justice, but it's about living lives that are generous. Lives that are open, lives that share, lives that bring other people in, lives that are righteous according to God's standard. And so I want you to consider, how righteous are you? Is your righteousness flowing? Because when I read this and I studied this, it hit me that too often my personal standard is not based on God's standard. Well, it's based on the society that I live in. Oh, you've done enough. 
You sponsored four kids. You are a generous person. Oh, I feel good about myself. Now I'll just live in the comfort that I've made for myself. I'm not asking you to sell all your stuff and to bring it to me. If you choose to, <laughs> it's your choice. But I am concerned that Christians don't look as generous as God sets as a minimum standard. I'm concerned that God wants me to be more generous than I'm comfortable with. I'm concerned that God's requiring me to do things that I don't really think make sense in my life. And I'm concerned that I'm ready to say no to God because it's too hard. I'm not saying that just because it's hard you should do it. But what I'm saying is, what is God saying to you? When you study the Word and He tells you that righteousness flow. I love that phrase, never failing stream. There are others in your life that if you fail to live with Sedeca, they will never see life. And that doesn't feel right with me anymore. It doesn't feel right with me anymore. That we could end up as selfish people and still call ourselves Christians. It doesn't work. If I can just get the band up. I don't know if I want to do a song, but maybe just to make this a bit less awkward. What's God saying to you? I want to put forward something not as a judgment, but as a, something for you to consider. Is there something in you that says, when I get there, then I will do what God has put on my heart? If you've done that, perhaps righteousness has failed in your life. When I get that, when I achieve that, when I have done that, when I have got there, then I will start doing X, Y, Z. Whatever God has put on my heart. If you are living in that way, you are failing to allow righteousness to flow. Perhaps. So what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow what are you going to do in your workplaces, in your families? This is not about money necessarily. This might be about forgiveness. This might be about kindness. It might be about compassion. It might be about allowing uh, something uh, that is not natural to you to flow. It might be that God is saying, look around you because there are people that need the life that you have already gotten from me. And if that is you this morning and you're saying, God, I want righteousness to flow like a never-failing stream, can I ask you to be so bold as to just stand up right now 
You might already be living in that way, and that's fantastic. But as a church, come on, let us take a stand, let us take this moment, and let's say, God, I am done living a selfish life. God, I am done living for myself. I am done living according to society's ways. I want Sedeca to flow like a never-failing stream. So God, I pray you speak. God, I pray that you are moving in our lives. God, I pray that you're bringing to mind. God, I pray that you are open opening our ears to hear and to see the way that you see. I pray to God that we will walk humbly with you to learn from your hesed, to act with justice and to allow our lives to mean something the way that you've intended. I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray that we won't hold back. I pray that we won't look to our insecurities or our fears. I pray that we won't look to our circumstances, but we will look to you, God, to show us how to live. Thank you, God. You know, this morning I really feel just to pray for those that that I say I want to make that commitment. And I want to confirm what I feel God has put on my heart. If that is you, why don't you come forward and our team will pray with you. I pray that there will be a discernment and there will be a clarity that comes from this moment that says, yes, God, that's, that's what you put on my heart. I am going to live out in that way. If that's you, please come forward. But I pray that before we close today, before you leave this building this morning, that you will know I need to allow Righteousness to flow like a never-failing stream. The band will just maybe play softly and you can just allow God to speak. I'm going to pray and I'm going to close here. That's our time this morning. God, I pray, I pray, I pray that our church will not sit back. We will not be comfortable until we know that your righteousness is flowing through us like a never-failing stream. Amen. When you're ready, help yourself to morning tea. Have a chat with people. Make sure you check out the Compassion Desk. There are many kids that have been waiting for a long time for a sponsor, and maybe God is speaking to you today to do something about that, and that's fantastic. If you would like prayer, please step forward. Please come forward. If not allow God to speak as well, All of these options are available to you and say thank you so much for joining us this morning for our gathering. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.